Hello and welcome to whatever this is or isn't or will be, otherwise known as to whom it may concern. And it may concern you, dear listener. So, first order of business. I made a trailer for this podcast. I figure that if people are going to just jump right into listening to hour long podcasts, it's not really going to be it's not really easy to listen to. I made a minute long trailer just as an introduction to what's going on here and what am I doing here exactly. More so now than before, like I think this uh, one thing that is becoming just absolutely clear to me is that this format of reading through the journal and first I like exploring what's on my mind and then jumping into the journal and connecting the two dots like last time with those balloons for example I think that this format kind of makes sense it feels right it sort of shows me you know it kind of it it shows me how you can connect to seemingly disparate thoughts and thought processes, I guess. And then they still have something to give to you, still have something to reveal. And at some point, like I wanna reach out to people. I wanna reach out to people to do uh, guest episodes because I already like, I've heard all kinds of things from people just saying that they're connecting with this on a very deep level. So I would like to extend this invitation to people who might have something on their journal or might feel inspired to read something from their journal uh, with us here or for us. And in this case, like I know that Anchor, it has this uh, very neat system of sending in voice messages apparently i've never used it but recently i've actually seen this as an option as i'm creating this podcast right so do consider it if you have something to say something to share feel free i would love to love to hear who's on the other side kind of but which kind of would make this more as a as a bit of like a radio experience but i think that's pretty cool and and in any case interesting like i'm still not comfortable enough to expand like making a website and you know uploading transcripts and things like this i i don't know yet if i want to go there so just slow and steady slow and steady wins the race is what the westerners say in any case this this episode kind of starts in a starts with a bit of a frustrated tone i'm not sure where it came from we will be talking about visas and Kosovo's uh, independence a little bit and we will be talking about ladybugs and time so quite a lot in one episode to cover but I hope that you enjoy it and I will leave you to it before I take longer before I take more of your time of your precious time I've been thinking a lot today in these past few days about a couple of things. And one of them is ladybugs. In these first podcast episodes, I'm going to get some like big bullet points out of the way. I It's something that I've been asked about a lot. Like a lot of people want to know whatever the hell is going on. And if you've noticed them and like I use them a lot in my descriptions and I wish I could put them even in my titles and everywhere. Absolutely everywhere. Ladybugs 
are my spirit insect animal thing. Um, I know that they're not considered animals. I know that they're considered insects, like so close, so close, because they have six legs. And if only they had eight, which is the bare minimum, apparently, that you need to belong into the category of arachnids. So like spiders and disgusting creatures and other disgusting creatures. I'm sorry if you like spiders. I have arachnophobia. So I'm kind of glad that maybe ladybugs are not arachnids. <laughs> but uh, got, anyway, that's irrelevant. I have had a thing with ladybugs maybe as far as I can remember. Maybe the beginning of this journal even. Like sometime in maybe 2013 or 14 when I was in Norway. Actually, yeah, it was probably 2014, 2015. That's the first time that ladybugs came to me. <laughs> okay, bear with me through this very, very, very uh, personal, as if you know, the other stories haven't been personal, but this one is kind of out there. And I know you're, you're probably going to think, what the hell? What's this weird podcast that I'm listening to right now? But just, you know, you you joined the right time, right place. So welcome now. And you may you may listen to the story of how ladybugs became so near near and dear to my heart that I have tattooed them on my head underneath what I like to call my little mriz. That sounds weird, right? You've probably never heard of that word before. It's in Albanian. And Mriz means this place where people who would work in the fields all day long, they would go to rest, like shepherds, for example, they would go to rest underneath the shadow of the tree, right? The shadow of a tree in the middle of a field or when out, I don't know, when taking out the cattle uh, somewhere in some meadow, there's this one tree right? and, and, and you sit underneath its shade to cool off to rest relax uh, and that's what mriz is and in Albanian mythology fairies right like fairies is in fairy tales call them zana so fairies they had this mriz in the forests and that is where you could find them right like you could go into the mrizi zanave and hopefully one of the fairies is there and is living there uh, but they're really really hard to find and obviously they don't show themselves to everyone so like i have this place on my head and hair there naturally doesn't grow and that's my mriz it's it's underneath my hair like I don't necessarily tell people that it's there. So isn't any way I consider it to be my mriz, like it's underneath the shadow of my hair and tattooed the ladybug there because it's just, you know, my mrizis on it. So just a little, I don't know, side note. I'm not sure why I felt compelled to say that, but, you know, I had to say just how far uh, the sort of uh, love for ladybugs and um, just how much I've romanticized them. I, I know it sounds ridiculous, to uh, anybody else that isn't me. But still, it's a cute little thing and I've really become one with it at this point. It's a mixture of Albanian and a very deep personal place of mine and then something that I love so dearly, uh, which is this creature that seems to follow me wherever I go, but whose purpose I don't quite 
understand just yet. So anyway, let me just tell you the story of how it all began. So I was in Norway studying. First time that I had left the nest, so to speak, that I had left Kosovo. First time ever. Like never before that, I didn't have a visa. So and if you don't know the situation in Kosovo, it's an independent country, but not every country in the world recognizes our independence. So our passports aren't necessarily valid everywhere. And because our independence was declared in 2008, so it was pretty recent, right? Con considering the time. I mean, it's totally not recent, but whatever. Let's just say that because of what I'm going to say next. Most of the countries in the European Union accept Kosovo's independence, but some countries officially don't. And there is like a lot of political dispute in the Balkan area still between uh, Serbia and Kosovo. And, you know, there's like a, you, if you've heard of ex-Yugoslavia, you can kind of put together why and you can do your own research. I don't want to make this more political than I already did because I'm already just not feeling OK with the level of politics that are being discussed right now. But let's just say that our passports are valid for some countries, but only like basically on paper, because technically we are not allowed to leave our country without a visa. And truly, like we can only go to countries like Albania and Macedonia and Montenegro. These are the three basically that we don't need a visa for. And probably there's some countries out there in the world that allow this, but you can't get there without like plane tickets and whatnot. So considering our economic states and considering our political position and imposition, we were not, you know, we're not known for being travel books. We're not, we're, we're not known for being travel books, that's for sure. We've had plenty of opportunities in Kosovo to visit different countries, like through scholarships after the war. But by we've had plenty of opportunities, I don't mean enough to possibly include more than a very small, tiny percentage of the 1% of the people that live there, right? Like I was one of the very few to be privileged to, to have the opportunity to be granted two different scholarships. It was also, of course, like, you had to reach out for them and you had to put in the work for it that's for sure but you can imagine that the availability versus the need for it and uh, not to mention the cultural pressure to not do something like that especially if you were a woman and if you were young and just the encouragement you got culturally to sit your ass down <laughs> and just either settle you know and just go through life without disturbing the natural order of things that's why, you know, you don't really hear of Kosovars uh, being out there in the world and exploring. But you do see a lot of Albanians. You know, a lot of people that I meet have met a lot of Albanians. And there is this confusion of, you know, what is an Albanian? What is a Kosovar? And I'll just say there are a lot of us that have migrated, for example, from Kosovo to other countries, either illegally, unfortunately, like looking for a better life or just escaping after the war. And then they 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 were, you know, they were stuck or chose to stay outside of Kosovo as refugees. A huge, very rich history, very, very rich history. Mine, uh, and I'll go back to that storyline. <laughs> Uh, mine began when I was 18, 19. I got this scholarship to go to Norway to study for a semester, like for Erasmus. And uh, at the time, it was getting a little bit more, like because of our independence and, you know, because of these things, like a lot, there was a lot more movement. But still, your freedom of movement is is obviously related to your visa, to your essentially like probation, <laughs> That's what I like to think of it as. Like, I consider the borders of Kosovo to be 
prison and I'm not the only one. And this prison, basically, you are allowed out of it if you behave like a good citizen and if you check all the check marks <laughs> from the list that, you know, of which, which is required of you. So you need to be in good standing as a citizen to be able to travel, whatever that means to any uh, embassy that you go and apply for the visa for because everyone has different categories of what they consider that to be. Besides that, you will need a reason to come back to Kosovo. You will need to excuse your to make like a valid excuse. You need to prove to people that you're not running away from Kosovo when they give you this visa. So it's like, you know, you're not escaping from prison. Uh, this is the thing. Like you need to provide this proof. You need to build this uh, level of trust with your handlers <laughs> to be able to allow freedom of movement. And that's what a visa is to me. That's what it is. For me, that's all that it is. It is probation and you are allowed a certain number of days within a certain amount of time. Sometimes that can be if, for example, you needed to go for a conference in Europe because your job required you to, because you know, Kosovo, you work there. Okay, I have to interject there <laughs> and provide some context on what I meant when I said, like, in, in, you work there. In, in Kosovo, you work. Because, you know, you would think, yeah, of course, duh, it's a country, right? Yeah, of course, there's there's work there. But you would be surprised if I were to tell you just how many people that I've met, that have, I've told that I'm a Kosovar and from Kosovo, that one, they probably didn't even know where that is. They don't even know that it exists. And two, they think that it's a third world country. So they, uh, in their heads, they think that I, I have had people that offered me help packages thinking that, you know, Kosovo is still kind of in a state of war. So let's just say that we are living in a day and age where information is like a click away, but somehow we're still waiting for it to kind of drop on our laps. This is sort of unfortunate, but also I can understand it. I can understand why it's not common knowledge, right? But at least why I think I have this sort of anger in me is because I do hope, I do wish that people would just stop assuming and instead ask more questions. Rather than making assumptions and jumping to conclusions, I'd like for people to ask more questions. Like if you don't know something, that's okay. I don't expect you to know. Nobody expects the other people to just know things. You know, why is this sort of a thing? So anyway, I just had to interject there and explain the sort of this situation. Because yes, Kosovo is a very, it's a developing country, that's for sure. We know a lot of things there are still very third world country. But it's definitely a place that is that is thriving and is flourishing. And like uh, the software industry is absolutely booming there. Then, you know, just look it up. Let's ask more questions, make less assumptions, trust me. You're just going to enjoy life more because you're going to learn more things rather than going through life thinking that you lack that knowledge. You work there and you work for global industry. So you have clients maybe from all over the world, right? Or even if you have local clients, maybe you want to offer them like international business or just international options. And to do that, you need to travel. But to travel, you need a visa. And to get a visa, you need to go through all of the appropriate embassies for that particular country. And you may or may not be allowed to actually leave. 
And if you are allowed to leave only for a certain period of time, that can sometimes be good enough. Like some people find it easy to get like one to two year long visa or well, one is the maximum that I've heard, like one year visa and you can travel for half the time, like six months or three months or one month, right? You can be outside of the country legally within that one year period or six months period, right? It depends. So you have like this amount of time which you can use the amount of days that you have legally to be out to be in this particular country or if it's a EU country then you know within the EU and if you don't use it then next time you apply for the visa it's going to be harder for you to get it because it's like hey we gave you this freedom and how dare you not use it like maybe something happened or came up like you just need to again justify that so again you need to justify it you need to provide a reason why you didn't use your probation and you made us go through all the trouble to give it to you. Uh, and you'd think that this gets better with time. You know, you think that this, you know, you might not need to use it, but let's say you're a business person, you want to go there and you need to go to this, this, this conference that I mentioned, right? And you don't get the visa, you miss the conference and nobody gives a crap, right? And you just lose it, lose the opportunity and that is it. Or you get a visa, but you get a visa for three days out of one week and you need within that week to plan everything that those three days and come back so that you're in good standing with the law so that then you're not treated like as a, you're not blacklisted. And, uh, you know, for, for, ex for overusing or for overextending the use of your visa, your liberty, you came back from your probation too late, right? So now you need to be back to your room. <laughs> So it was tricky, you know, it's always tricky to get a visa, even if you get it through a scholarship, you're not guaranteed it, you know, you never guarantee the visa, this is the thing, they can come up with the wildest excuses. Once I was denied a visa because I would, they looked at my bank account and they looked at my money flow and they just didn't understand how I used my money. That's it. That was their excuse. We are sorry to say, but we don't understand what is happening in your bank account. And no justification, nothing that you can do, no, no, nothing that you can dispute there because they are the law. They, they said no, and that's that. And honestly, I didn't even want to at that point because it was just so ridiculous. I was actually going somewhere for a job interview. I was invited by the company. So yes, I might have probably stayed there. Not that one time. Probably I'd gone back later on, right, to move there if I had landed the job. But because they didn't see this some sort of meaning in whatever it is they wanted for the two days that I asked access into the country, I was just not allowed in. So that is always fun. It's always fun to get Kosovars to talk about visas. And I'm so happy that I decided to do this. I'm being a bit sarcastic, but actually I think I guess this is important because one thing led to another. I started talking about ladybugs and here we are now. And you know, I'm the romantic one. I'm I'm very, very romantic. Whenever I travel, like this first time that I traveled, it was like tasting freedom. I wrote about it. I wrote poems about it. Probably somewhere in this journal, there is something about that. I have like countless different books about things that I've learned when I was traveling. But and this is the thing imagine a whole country being so isolated but forcefully isolated and then you wonder why the mentality hasn't changed or evolved beyond the level that it is right now you know you wonder and you're curious 
or you're angry, mad, or sad, and upset because this country's mentality is basically shooting itself in the foot. And then you go to that country and you talk about feminism and you talk about LGBT communities. You talk about how being gay is okay and abortion is your choice, right? You talk about these big topics and you're surprised that people don't understand. This is my realization. I, my hope, my dream for my country would be that every, every person under the age of 30 should be forced out of the country for like a semester of the university. I don't mean, okay, by forced, I don't mean physically forced out of the country, but strongly encouraged that they do an Erasmus out of the country, because that would be the catalyst that our brains need, really. That would be the catalyst to new form connections in our brains that allow us room for new, for new mentality to develop, for new passageways into new mindsets and new frameworks of thinking and, and just new generations of thinkers and feelers in that country to form and evolve. And I would say this is the same thing with every country, with every city even. Like It is just imperative to expose yourself to other cultures and other people and other processes of thought. And the more you do it, the richer you are and the richer your next generations will be and the richer your, the people you surround yourself will be because they are exposed to you. This is just a truth. So if I would have one wish for my country going into 2022 is this. Freedom of movement. Back to the story. <laughs> Back to the story of the ladybug that visited me when I was in Norway. First time ever I exited my homeland. I was out and about, spread my wings as far as they could spread and fly off into the sun just by myself. It was... I was hit in the moment that I landed into this world, this new world, and I remember as if it was yesterday. I got out of the bus in Jurvik after uh, traveling all throughout from Oslo, which is where the plane landed, and I got on the bus to Jurvik, which is my which is where my university was. And I remember the minute that I stepped outside of the door, everything was like. I'm, I'm sorry to use this very crude way of describing it, but everything was in high definition. Everything. The colors were so deep. Like green was green and red felt red and everything was just so colorful. It felt, at least, it felt like it was full of color somehow. And I even have this somewhere written down in my notebooks. Like, it felt like it was high definition. You know, we didn't have 4K back in 2014. But anyway, this is this was our reality. This was my reality. You know, I I I looked around and I couldn't believe my eyes. It felt like I, you know, I put glasses in for the first time. And if you've tried that, even if you have a very small dioptrie, I don't know how you say that in English, but um, you know, when you're not wearing your eyesight is not 2020, and you have to wear glasses to make up for that. So whether it's nearsighted or farsighted, right? When you put them on for the first time and you, the vision in front of you just clarifies and you're like, what the hell? Is this what I'm supposed to see? Like every day all the day? <laughs> is this it? Is this real? Is this how vision is supposed to be like? That was me. That was me. Anyway, and fast forward three months later, it was snow, as you would imagine, in Norway. Absolutely gorgeous autumn, by the way. Absolutely gorgeous autumn. I love autumn up north. 
I mean, Norway was as north, like Oslo and, and Jovic. Jovic really was as north as I went. But um, over here in Poland now, also autumns are absolutely be- beautiful. They're like the second coming of spring. And I know that global warming has something to do with that. But uh, in Norway, it was also absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous sit, gorgeous place. Jovic being a bit removed from the cities, uh, they they it, there was so much greenery. There were so many trees. It just felt like kind of living in a park. Beautiful. But then the winter came and I remember I would cry on my way back home from from college. That's how cold it was. Like the wind was would rip you apart. It would really rip you apart. <laughs> and when winter came, one evening, it was soon after that that I actually went back for Kosovo. I looked out of the window when the first snow had started to fall and, you know, covered all of the environment in snow. Oh, I have actually a poem that I wrote that day. I don't know if I'll be able to find it. If I will, then I will read it towards the end. But I don't I don't remember right now where, where it is. It's probably just hidden somewhere in the corners of my things. I was looking outside of this window. I noticed on the inside this little bug. This little ladybug. Overwhelmingly white background. There was this little red creature with with black little pimples (laughs) just walking around the window glass. And I took it in my hand and I was in disbelief. How can a creature in the middle of winter, like their their season is in in summer, and they live about, I don't know, some few weeks, maybe a month to maybe max. They don't live more than that. They had no place there in November, December. It hung around for a while and then it just flew off and i knew that somehow what it was telling me is that it was time to go home known to me yet it was i i have two theories sort of what they mean either that this isn't home yet or it's time to go home and leaving it behind that is my understanding so far i don't know maybe i haven't come too far (laughs) maybe i haven't gone too far from the truth i don't know I know I'm I am a hopeless romantic so of course I'm going to assign all this meaning to something that might be ridiculous right to most people that aren't me but I like to think that our brain finds ways to give meaning to things and that meaning that we assign to whatever thing right to whatever said thing is more like our brain's way of communicating to our consciousness it's trying to bubble up deep feelings and thoughts into something that maybe would make more sense to you or maybe you would be more susceptible to sort of see it this way like if you've seen the movie 23 for example like that's a pretty crazy movie jim carrey stars in it and his whole obsession with the number 23 begins when he just starts seeing it and then when he sees it he just starts to see it even more everywhere and he feels like he's being haunted and he feels like the number is some sort of a curse right uh, and it just turns out that oh, that's an actual thing like you see more of what you focus on or like hyper focus on you will see it more in the world in your daily life because it just it is there it has always been there you just haven't seen it before right you haven't noticed it before consciously and now because it has fixated somehow or it has connected somehow with some meaning 
especially if it's sort of a message, deep message that you need to understand and to accept from your subconscious, it makes sense that you develop stuff like this. But I just have to say, like, I like my romanticism, okay? Like, I can sit down and write on my journal and be on philosophical and break things down, but every once in a while, I just have to let the poet in me relish in the fact that it sees random beauty in the world flourish with these kinds of ideas. <laughs> The next time I saw Ladybugs, it was basically almost every other time when it was absolutely necessary that I see them. The next time that they would show up, they would tell me the same story. This isn't home. And sometimes it was to give me a message about a person, about a place, about a feeling, about something. Just it isn't home. It's not. It's temporary. That's the message that I would receive. You need to go. You need to leave. This is the right thing to do. It's okay. You need to go. You need to leave. This is the right thing to do. And it's not that it inspired me to do that. No, it was I was struggling with the thought. I was struggling with the ideas and it came to me anyway. One of the times that it was absolutely mind-blowing that they found me somehow was another time when I was in the middle of a mountain with my siblings. And this was right before New Year's Eve, so December. And this was and this was deep into the woods, deep into the mountains in Peya, my hometown. And we were in this cabin, and it was basically completely overflown with with snow. Basically, you know, there was nothing. It's not like it wasn't there was it was not snowy or you know maybe it wasn't cold enough. No, 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 no. It was absolutely covered in snow, like knee deep. And my siblings, they were they were just sitting outside uh, making barbecue and laughing and talking. And I all of a sudden just started feeling very, I was under a lot of pressure. I started feeling sick. I remember that I was going through a very hard time. I was in a difficult place in my relationship with my ex at the time. And I, I don't quite know how to describe it. I just felt the need to go inside. And I just, just didn't want to be with them there anymore. Um, so I went inside. I just snuggled myself under some covers on the couch inside of the cabin with the fire crackling in the background. And I took my phone and I was writing things down. And then I saw it. It flew from the top like a spiral and landed right on my lap as if to say, it's okay. This is temporary. This is temporary. So it was. it is to me, I consider it to be the universe's reminder. Agnesa, your flow is elsewhere. Agnesa, hello. Agnesa, you know, it's just kind of a reminder from the universe. I see you. And ever since then, you know, it, it's just I've completely then embraced it. I've completely understood it. I've embraced it as this thing. It gives me joy. It gives me peace to just think of it. I know I'm not necessarily religious, but I am quite spiritual. And when things like this happen, especially with ladybugs and, you know, some some seasons like this summer, for example, was so difficult for me that it just it didn't come. And then one day it visited me so briefly inside of my apartment it was very soon after my bet my birthday when I was asking for I was saying you know where are my ladybugs why are they not visiting me anymore and then lo and behold with very very little expectation like when they I least expected it I saw it in my kitchen window everything was closed but it, I, it finds its way it just came by to say hello and then it left it flew away and I feel it now like you know I can assign any kind of meaning to it but 
that's what they mean to me. They've, they've become so deep to me that they became my first tattoo ever. I tattooed it on my head under what I call my miriz. That's M-R-I-Z. I actually have to touch up, you know, I need to touch up and make it with color and to truly give it the, the breath of life that it deserves. <laughs> and yeah, uh, they mean a lot to me, you know, and when I, well, that's why today they embody vulnerability to me. You know, one time when I was sick here in Warsaw, I was so sick and so broken and just physically I couldn't move. I had a lot of problems with my body, with my skeleton. I had a lot of pains that came out of nowhere and it was very unclear where, what was happening. And I just felt incapacitated in a lot of ways. I just felt broken. And one of the days I decided to leave my apartment and venture forth, venture a bit further away, you know. Usually I could just go around my apartment complex before I started to feel this incapacitating pain that I needed to lay down and I couldn't even move. And one day it was so sunny and so beautiful and I was feeling a little bit more relieved after just this physiotherapy session. I don't know, it just helped me a lot. I guess my physiotherapist finally kind of discovered what the problem was. They were understanding that it might have something to do with the neck and then they, they tried to release the tension and whatnot like just basically reorder some of the musculature and and fix some of the uh, rotated discs on my spine. And the next day I could move a little bit more, like I could eat something, you know, and I went out, I got ice cream and I went to this park further away from my apartment complex. And I was sitting there in the bench and I remember my ex called me and we were on the phone actually. And then this ladybug landed on the bench and I saw it and I took it on my hands and I shit you not, like I took pictures of these things as I don't believe myself sometimes. Like it's hard to wrap my head around them. This little ladybug had a broken wing. It had a broken wing. As if to say, and I'm getting a little bit emotional here, but just as if to say, it's okay. This is temporary. And I, like I said in the previous episode, that's what being vulnerable is to me. Vulnerable means, to, to me, means sharing our, my narrative. And being vulnerable to me means every means inspiring people around me to, to, to share their narratives. And it happens a lot, you know, when we're sitting in a room or I'm talking to somebody or just me, people start sharing their stories. And that's so meaningful to me. I, 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 I cherish those moments with every breath that I breathe. Because it is so beautiful to have this human being just unclench in front of you and release whatever it is that they've been holding within their hands. Like unclench their jaw and spit whatever words were stuck inside their throat and they couldn't say it because they didn't feel like the safe space was created for that. They didn't feel safe in that environment, in whatever environment that they've been in, that they've lived in, you know, and this is just sad that we do this to each other. The other day, my therapist told me this story, this, this not, well, not story, this study that was done, that was conducted. And actually, I found it so fascinating. I'll share it with you. Um, although I still need to read and like research exactly what it was about, like where it began and what the purpose was. But I will paraphrase and I will summarize and then you please do your research. To me, it's just uh, like made sense. So I will share it. Uh, paraphrasing the fact that I, I haven't looked into it myself yet, but it's relevant to this train of thought. They did this study where they made, they had a group of people, they told them basically their mission was to be angry. 
to act angry. Basically, that could be something like vocal, like vocally angry, but not like, not like outspokenly so maybe, you know, like on a very rudimentary level of being angry. So we're talking body language. So we're talking walking into the store with a bit with a frown on their faces, just looking discontent, like just basically when interacting with another human being, they have to look and feel angry, do their best to look angry. And guess what they found? So when, when they, when the people that did this, walking into the stores or whatever, they ran into people and their faces were angry. The per, they weren't, they weren't the one that were being tested, right? The ones that were being tested were actually the people on the other side, the people that were interacting with these like angry people, unbeknownst to them that this was a study. You know what happened? The other person, most certainly, most assuredly, they experienced a feeling of guilt. Something in them was triggered purely by the angry look on somebody's faces. Just the idea of anger, even if you're an absolute stranger and you don't, I don't know anything about you, has the capacity to trigger guilt in you. So as a human being, the trigger is almost like a button. It apparently almost works like a button. You press the A button and the G letter pops up. <laughs> you press anger, guilt pops up. And I wonder why, you know, that it doesn't take a lot of steps to understand why this can happen. But do you catch my drift? That is the level of triggering that we can do to one another. And if we thought that our triggers are maybe unique, absolutely unique to us all, then, then psychology wouldn't exist as a science. Our patterns are the same. Deep inside of us, our patterns are the same. Our variables are the same, even though our parameters might not be. Like our X's and Y's and Z's, our formula is the same, even though the numbers that they represent are not the same. We may not be equal on both sides of the equation when put against to each other, right? Like I said last time, we're not constants. We are variables. We are made up of variables, which are constantly in flux and changing with us as we change and as we grow and as we evolve and are exposed to different perspectives and are exposed to different narratives. But our narratives deep down inside, they keep being built and solidified. And that is what makes this our, the sum of us. We are the sum of our experiences. This is not a small thing to say. This does not mean just go out there and travel, right? This does not mean just, you know, pack up your bags and go explore the world because you are the sum of your experiences. Live life a little. Yes, it does mean that. That is a part of it. But that is only one, one segment, one piece of it. Living begins within. And now imagine that within goes to the without, walks into a store, and we are the embodiment of anger and our content and this can be seen in our faces and the way that our brows furrow when we're not paying attention and the other person standing right in front of us this stranger this this individual that is here and that has a life of their own to live and to bury and to carry in their shoulders that person can be triggered into feeling guilty for their parts of for for whatever their guilt consists of for whatever variable basically builds up to that emotion, to that feeling, to that vein of thought and to that narrative inside of them, which makes them feel guilty. So to me, vulnerability represents kind of a defrosting. Vulnerability to me is sharing this narrative to let people know that this is me. This is who I am. Don't take that personally. This is how I am. These are my true, real feelings. These are what I should be dealing with, not yours. I should be dealing with mine, right? 
you should be dealing with yours. And we can trigger each other and we should be aware of that because the more we are aware of that, vulnerability is the space which connects us, connects this deep chasm that is formed between us as people, as human beings, that makes us feel like we are different, we are isolated and we don't belong in the same space. We are not in the same level. No, we are. You are above or below me. No, I'm not. We always see each other eye to eye. Vulnerability is that thing which breaks, is that step that we take towards destroying these walls and getting closer to one another. And instead of walls or staircases up or staircases down or dungeons or a labyrinth or mazes, there's just two people being absolutely honest and open and clear with one another about their narratives and being accepting of those narratives, understanding that they are not there because it is their fault that it is so poisonous or that it is so maybe toxic or that it is so cheerful or happy or beautiful or ugly or disgusting or I don't know, whatever it is, whatever you consider it to be, it's just a narrative. And if you aren't proud of it, then maybe start doing something about it. If you, and I don't mean proud as in vocally proud, like letting your ego take over and say, this is my narrative. No, but accepting them, being proud of who you are, that you've survived despite the circumstances. You've actually survived and you're here and you are who you are, not because of your circumstances, but in spite of your circumstances. And there is this beautiful, beautiful paragraph in a, one of my favorite books of all time, if maybe the favorite book of all time for me. And it's called The Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss. It was recommended to me by a very, very dear friend of mine. And I read it. And I'm so happy that I was recommended this book. And there is a sentence there, which I will try to find. There is a paragraph there that I will need to read to you now after having read this. Here is the paragraph, and it's about the boy's, the main character, Quoth's loot. After it is broken, it is returned to him. I won't spoil it further, but this is what he says. He's absolutely in love with this loot, and this is what he says. I touch the loose peg gently, running my hands over the warm wood of the loot. The varnish was scraped and scuffed in places. It had been treated unkindly in the past, but that didn't make it less lovely underneath. So yes, it had flaws, but what does that matter when it comes to the matters of the heart? We love what we love. Reason does not enter into it. In many ways, unwise love is the truest love. Anyone can love a thing because. That's as easy as putting a penny in your pocket. But to love something despite. To know the flaws and love them too. That is rare and pure and perfect. Beautiful. And that's what vulnerability does. I think it reveals all of these scrapes and scars and scuffs it reveals all of our flaws and scrapes and scars and also our light and beauty it reveals the whole of us all of us there is no part in us that doesn't deserve to be seen and deserve to be loved and understood and cared for and i don't mean by the people around us i mean by yourself because guess what starting a process of 
understanding, a process of seeing yourself deeply and a process of understanding and accepting yourself, that begins a journey within where first and foremost, before you start being vulnerable, as you're being vulnerable, you will start to see yourself and you will start to accept and understand and love yourself more. And of course, right? That's what happens. That's how we fall in love. We fall in love with what we see. We love what we are exposed to. So ladybugs, that's what vulnerability is to me. So be vulnerable. See where it takes you. It ain't going to cost you anything. You already carry yourself heavy on your shoulders. Might as well start seeing what you're carrying. It's a process that even though all of us should go through, I don't even know myself where I'm where I am in this process. I feel like I have only just begun and I still fight it. In many ways, I still fight it. I still fight seeing myself for who it is that I truly am. And perhaps that is why I do things like this, like reveal, for example, journal pieces from 10 years back because I need to, well, not, it's not from 10 years back. It's from now to 10 years ago and understanding this process of between then to now and why I am revealing it to everyone is because I want everyone to see that it's not always pretty and it's not always nice and it's not always basically just a metaphor of flowers. We understand and we know that it is suffering. We understand and we know that it is an uphill battle. We understand and we see and we know that everybody goes through their own suffering and there is no such thing as a bigger suffering than another. There is either a decision that we make. If we have chosen self-acceptance, if we have chosen vulnerability, if we have chosen to be who we know we can be, a better version of ourselves, more of ourselves, then we need to start by accepting it. We need to start by seeing it ourselves, understanding it, accepting it, loving it. And we are all at any point in time halfway there because we already have it all with us. We already carry it with us. There's nowhere else we can leave it, trust me. We just have to start seeing it. And I believe we have a lot more of us, a lot of us. I think uh, we have no choice now because so for so long we have been predisposed to compare it to things, to things, to other people, to what it should be, to what it could be, to what it blah, 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 right? Like we've seen everywhere we've looked versions of ourselves that we should be or shouldn't be or can avoid or can become or should fear or should be terrified of or should love or should go strive to be, whatever. No, you are who you are right now. That is your sum of your experiences. You can take that sum of the experiences and maybe start breaking down so that you truly understand the sum which you are and understand, do you want to add plus one to that tomorrow? Do you want to add, I don't know, a small percentile of whatever, do you want to add uh, 0.0001 tomorrow? What do you want to do? Do you want to move another step forward, another step towards the next step? The where and the what and the why doesn't matter. It matters that you are already where you are and you choose not to stay motionless. You choose not to stay static because... Have you ever carried like a huge thing on your shoulders? Have you ever carried huge bags, weighed luggage around at the airport for hours on end? Let's say you were going from airport to airport, you switched to two, you switched to even one, but you've been traveling for eight hours straight and you've been carrying this luggage. Have you noticed how when you... When you're carrying it, you don't even notice. It's heavy for sure, but at some point you start noticing it because you're under the adrenaline of you need to get to where you need to get to. You need to catch the other plane, right? So you really don't care how heavy it is. But you know when you start to notice it, when you stop, then it takes 10 times, 20 times more of your energy to actually get yourself moving back again. 
because that's what inertia does. When we stop, it makes it harder for us to start again. And that's okay because it is hard. But starting doesn't mean running. It doesn't mean getting to a kind of speed which propels you forward. It means gaining momentum. So I hope that whenever you do decide, however that looks like for you, to take a step forward for yourself, towards yourself, with yourself, that you will take it. Time. Have you noticed how easy it is to hold on to a single grain of sand? A small pressurized shard, smaller than most things you can imagine their shapes, safely tucked into a firm grasp between your fingertips. The more of it you try to grab hold of, the more of it slips through the cracks. But what if you can carry it in buckets? Hmm? If you carefully fill the top full, take it to your ongoing masterpiece of a sandcastle and make it grander. Watch it grow as you pour your love and effort into this fleeting achievement. Then, when the day wears you out, you sit next to it, exasperated, admiring it in disbelief. There it is, all the sand you could carry into this vastly unknown work of love that you know you do not own. You want to believe it wasn't all for nothing. You want to believe it means something. It wasn't just a mindless chase to exact control on something you couldn't grab a hold of. There lies the proof of your efforts. There it is, standing tall against the rules of physics, it seems. You do not care much for the facts. That it will eventually dry, show its crackling foundation. Slowly but surely, tested by the wind, it will be blown away into the wholesome pile of meaningless sand, wide as your eyes can see. But you won't be there to see it. And your day is done. It's time to go home. Time. This was, I guess, an interesting realization of how everything in life is temporary. More or less. Of how our perception of our paths, like our careers and the things that we work so hard to build, one day they're there and the next they're not, right? And we still, we put in the time and we put in the effort and we put in the love and care and attention that we can into it and build it. It was it was a bit of a romantic realization, you know, maybe imagine, you know, just st staying at the beach and you're playing with sandcastles all day and you're building it and you're proud of it. And then you just you decide where you want to put it. You can even put it as close to the sea so that the next big wave is going to take it away or you can put it further away from the sea. Put it somewhere where maybe it takes a few days for the wind to take it to blow it away. Right. Or maybe it just takes some some silly ass kid and they kick it off into the rest of the sea. And there you go. There's your masterpiece. And it's just blown up into the wind. But it doesn't make it meaningless. I think what I was realizing when I wrote this piece is that every sandcastle that you build, when you understand, you start to think that it is eternal. When you start to believe that it is going to be there forever, you're building expectation. You're building expectation for something that just isn't real. You are crafting your disillusionment with the moment instead of purely understanding it for what it is. The moment is showing you your capacity to build. Your moment is showing you everything that you need to know now about the sand and how it works and how it works with water and how it works against the wind and how it works when it's dried off. It can teach you what, what grief feels like when you see it being destroyed in front of your eyes or if you go there tomorrow as a child and you see that, oh crap, it's not there anymore. The wind took it away. I thought I was going to have 
have it here today again to play with it or to keep building on it. That's how things work in life. And that's okay. Because what matters is that in that moment in time when you were crafting this experience, that's to me, that's the most important thing that we do and we strive for in life. That in that moment in time when we are doing it, when we are building it, that we are enjoying it, enjoying every second of that experience, because that is what we are going to carry into the tomorrow. It's not the thing that is going to be there waiting for us tomorrow to complete it by giving it some sort of meaning. We carry meaning with us. It is a tool which we impose, or rather it's like it, it is our brush. It is the brush with which we paint the world around us. That is our paintbrush. It makes a painter and an artist of all of us. Life itself. And all, it's, it's, it is simple when you think about it, right? It is so simple when you think about it. You have all the power in your hands to assign whatever kind of meaning you wish to things around you. Just like me and my ladybugs. And you can give them all the power in the world. Or you can take it away. Just like that. This is the beauty about being human. And about having this capacity to disillusion ourselves and having this capacity to create realities, to craft meaning out of nothing. And even more so to create complete alternate realities and even understand our own to depths that most of us are not really aware of. And we split ourselves into categories as if each of us has a mission in life. You know, your mission is to understand where stem cells come from. Your mission is to understand our human history. Your mission is to understand our anthropological history. Your mission is to understand why we do the things that we do. And your mission is to understand whatever the hell, however the hell can we communicate the economy of this world? What even is economy? You're going to define that. Quite beautiful if you think of us as like these little ants, you know, just running around this world and trying to give it meaning. Every single one of us has a purpose and has has a purpose in life, even if we're not necessarily, it's not related to one another or directly to one another. It is there and your purpose is to understand your own. And how we find that, ask me, it's all about this feeling. I personally, I just follow the feeling. I follow whatever brings me into the state of flow. And I do it. I follow whatever makes me feel like in that moment in time, I forget that I'm in that moment in time. Whatever makes me escape time, even for even the concept of it anyway, the awareness of it, that's where I am. And it's not about distractions. No, it's about feeling like I am making the absolute most use of this particular amount of time. And sometimes... That means doing nothing. Sometimes that means just staring out into the sun or staring out at the trees while the snow is falling and just sitting by the curb, which I can do sometimes, like sit by the curb for hours and just, and I'm talking about this particular curb, whatever, uh, or just sitting at the park and watching the leaves fall. That could be your purpose in this moment in time. Tend to yourself, care for yourself, listen. Learn to listen. I'm still learning to listen to myself and what that means to me, what 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 purpose is to me. But I've one thing that I've learned and I've seen is that it changes with every waking moment of our lives. And like that balloon theory, <laughs> the balloon theory. Wow, that sounds so wow, fascinating. <laughs> um, the balloon theory, right? You can wake up one morning and you can have a particular, you can wake up with a particular kind of mood that you can choose to keep or you can throw away. It's your choice. You can choose to 
breathe it out or you can choose to inflate a whole balloon with it and then play around with it for about a week or a few months depending on how long you think it's going to last and how well you take care of it it's just or what it is exposed to what you expose it to it is your choice and what set me free over the years i believe is this is the idea that i have a choice it is my choice it is my choice to live this life and i wish to understand how i can w- live this life as best as i can for me that translates into the people around me which i care so deeply for that i wish to be the best version of myself for them for myself for them for the world right and it, i know it might sound romantic i know that it's so woof like the entry itself i know that when i was sitting and and and, and writing it i wasn't deriving this kind of meaning from it i was simply observing time as a concept and how the more of it we want the more of it seems to slip through our fingers that is stress and about that in another episode right now i will have to leave thank you for joining this quiet roller coastery a uh, bit more i mean i would say like this this is a this is a more uh surprising type of episode to me personally i think that concludes our flow thank you for joining me if you're a newcomer thank you for joining in this flow i hope thank you for joining me in this in today's flow i hope you have found something in it to